Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, season previews roll on. We're getting close to the end, and we welcome back yet another esteemed guest to the podcast. You know him, you love him. We're going to talk to him here in just a minute, but first off, how are you? You ready to talk Florida State? Ready to talk Florida State, buddy, with our guy, James Coleman, Florida, former Florida State running back and now does all sorts of radio stuff. It's funny because we talk to a lot of folks that have a lot of varying levels of association with the programs that they speak to on this podcast. I I think of folks that we talk to, James has a a fairly close association with his program, but regardless, he gives it to you as straight as anybody. He will tell you exactly how it is, what it's going to be, and and he doesn't really mince his words. And I think you get a lot of great insights in terms of what we think this program is going to be. And and so we got a lot of really good stuff from our conversation with him tonight. Yeah, definitely. Weird year, Mike Norvell, year one, weird offseason that has led up to it. Interesting way the schedule is structured. A couple of questions dealing with the team and the personnel. There's a lot to get into, Mike. But without any further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Here is our conversation with Mr. James Coleman of 1010XL, 92.5 FM in Jacksonville. Go ahead and take a listen. All right, Mike, we welcome back one of our favorite guests on the podcast. He's been coming around for multiple years. Our, our guy knows all sorts of things about the Florida State program. Helps that he once played for the Florida State program under Bobby Bowden. He's been there a long time, very knowledgeable of the program. Mr. James Coleman of 1010XL and 92.5 FM in Jacksonville and, of course, of the Fifth Quarter blog uh, joins us once again. James, it is always a, a pleasure and a treat having you on. Welcome back, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm just – I'm just happy. I'm happy football is here, and I'm I'm breaking down I nine flag football film. Like I've just been a fiend. I'm I'm great. I'm grateful, man. I need something. I'm, I can't wait. September twelfth, around the corner. Let's get it. Mike and I had the conversation back. I think his stuff was starting to shut down back in like mid to late March of like. Is there going to be football or not, you know, this fall? And, and I think the, the discussion was, you know, fall versus spring. And I felt at the time, I felt super confident there would be football in the fall. Then we had the conversation again around 4th of July, and it was like, uh, I'm not so sure. And so it's, it's really nice, you know, that we are in a place now where we feel like it's going to happen. So um, definitely a lot of excitement around here. And, and thanks again for joining us. We're going to talk Florida State in 2020 tonight. And I, I, I think – There's plenty of storylines here to discuss, but obviously the big one here is there's a new head coach in Mike Norvell. But I think there's there's something to be discussed around the hiring and kind of the decision-making process and how that hiring was received by fans. But then there's also been this this follow-up in the months since in the offseason of the reception by the players. And there's been a couple of, of PR issues, you know, and such with how certain things are handled. 
What's the overall status here uh, on Mike Norvell and the staff without even having played a game yet? Is there any concern within the fan base, or is it really just wait and see? It's really wait and see, and it's a lot of optimism. Um, Mike is a very well-spoken guy. He's a young guy, um, but he's very mature. So he's 38 years old. Um, you, you feel when you talk to him like you're talking to a 45-year-old. But um, he says the right things. He's pretty polished. He's got a good resume. Um, he was able to do some things in Memphis that um, the, to carry on and, and take it to the next step. He didn't. Uh, Fuentes was the one who built that thing, but he was able to take it to the next the next level from there. And it comes he comes as a breath of fresh air after having um, the, two of the worst years, really three of the worst years that we've had in program history. And FSU fans have really kind of like taken to him because we, we were overreacting about stuff. I, I did the math. In 42 years, we've had two losing seasons. And that's just something that you're not used to. But, you know, now we got a guy who's coming in, seems to have the right energy, says the right stuff. It seems to have um, the organizational skills that get the players brought in a little bit. James, the quarterback position, like Florida State has had this kind of weird trajectory with quarterbacks, it feels like, in recent years. And they finally have some stability there with James Blackman and, you know, it, the jury was kind of semi out, I guess, in public about whether or not uh, James Blackman would be the starter. But I think most were expecting that Norvell would eventually name him the starter, which he did this week. How do you feel about Blackman going into the year? Like, I feel like he's been at Florida State now essentially forever. Um, but now he's going to be now he's going to be in a position to be, you know, again, a multi-year starter, one of the veterans in the locker room. How important is that, you know, to have with this new coaching staff coming in with Norvell and company? Well, what you have, you know, Blackman is on his fourth coordinator, his third coach, head coach, and um, in, in four years, and he was probably thrust into the light before he was ready. Um, everybody knows DeAndre Francois went down early in the 16th season, if I remember correctly. Then he had to start. Then 17 is when Tag came. Um, Tag came over. He redshirted. 18, he ended up starting. No, I might be out of pocket. 17, 18, 19. Yeah, because this is his whatever. Bottom line is he started way too early, and he didn't get a chance to sit and watch. But the thing that he has is a is a dynamic arm. He is contagious with his energy, and when he's when he's on fire, he's on fire because we've seen him be able to perform at a high level. The North Carolina State loss in um, Tag's first year when he came off the bench because um, DeAndre Francois um, wasn't able to play, you, you saw him being able to connect it and, and hit, multi, hit different receivers. His problem is, is that he gets way too high and way too low with the game, and you need a guy who's even killed. And a lot of that comes with having a quarterback coach or a coordinator that you feel comfortable with that's job is to make sure you're leveled out. And that was one of the things that I believe Jimbo did do a really good job of. People saw him cussing guys out, saw him in face, but he was there to make sure that the quarterback understood what their role was and that they were a direct reflection of him on the field. So I think between Norvell and Dillingham, he should be in a better place. And what their job is to do is to make sure the ball gets in the hand of the playmakers. So if he's able to be able to do that, he's feeling more confident and they're throwing some rhythm um, passes, I think you can see um, Blackman 
give you at worst, and this is where a lot of fan, FSU fans don't like this, but they got to remember this guy got two ACC championships and is one of the leaders in statistics. And he can give you he can give you what Chris Ricks was, and if he can give you what Chris Ricks was with this defense, they could be pretty good. Realistically, James, without injuries coming into play, what are the chances that we see significant time from either Jordan Travis or Chuba Purdy this year? In year one, new offense, new coaching staff, knowing what Blackman has in his past. I mean, is there is there a reasonable chance that there will be a quarterback change for any amount of time at some point this season? Well, Purdy probably won't be in. Because, and, and the only reason that – because he's got the, he's coming off of a collarbone that he broke in camp a few weeks ago. Uh, Rotomaker, it'll be Rotomaker, Rotomaker, however you say his name. And I, it, Jordan <laughs> Travis ain't playing. Jordan Travis is a really, really good athlete that w- that should be on the field, but he has a problem with throwing the pass forward, and that's kind of bad at your quarterback. So um, it's Blackman's show, and that right there should give him a little bit more confidence to be able to not play to lose the position, but play to play the position the way that Norvell needs him to make. Now, again, his ability to keep a defense honest by being able to throw it deep and you have a Terry, Warren Thompson, and some of these other wide receivers, Jordan Young, some of these other wide receivers should be able to um, give Blackman some some better route combinations and Coach Dillingham and Coach Norvell a little bit more um, creative freedom to be able to at least keep defenses on their toes. A big question that I have, James, is can the offensive line get any better? Like, it's been bad recently, and you have some guys with experience coming back, so we would assume that it would have to get a little bit better, but what's the outlook there um, up front? Because I think, I think really at the end of the day, that's going to determine just how good this offense is. All right, first I'm going to give you Homer talk, and then I'm going to give you real. Homer talk. There's only five offensive lines in college football that are just really that damn good. Like, just, they're just, like, Wisconsin's offensive line year in and year out is that good. Um, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, um, Oklahoma, I may miss one. Um, but, all right. Now, real, ugh, we bet. We're going to have a lot of young guys and a lot of combinations that they're going to throw out there. What you can hope, though, is that they can get in the way enough to be able to allow quick game. And that's something that we haven't seen in the last three years is, one, Jimbo's system was so hard to understand that it was um, difficult to make decisions quick. Now, tag, I don't know what, I I can't really give you the system, but it was really either short or, like, super slow developing. But um, Norvell's system is to get rid of the ball quick. So if they're able to to kind of get defenses to have to pay attention to the quick pass and keep them honest early in the season to where they have the game plan for that, that will make the offense a lot better. Like um, this isn't James Blackman, but to like give people like understand and think Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, their ability to get rid of the ball fast is what makes their offensive line better. So if you're able to make the decision quick and throw it, and you, you'll be fine. But they're bad. It's it's completely true. I mean, how many times have we seen an offensive lineman be a super regarded guy with the Patriots who leaves as a free agent, goes somewhere else, and all of a sudden it's like a useless offensive tackle? Like that's it's a tale as old as time, and it's all about how how quickly Brady gets rid of the ball. So there's there's very much a give and take aspect there. Um, 
the other aspect here, James, is with again with the offensive line is not just protecting James Blackman, but also creating opportunities in the run game. The run game this year, first year in several, that Florida State's going to be without Cam Akers. You know, he's gone to the draft. That was a, a vast majority of their rushing production last year. Uh, but at the same time, I would be naive if I was asking, can Florida State replace a dynamic running back like Cam Akers? Obviously, they can. That's a program that, that is traditionally recruited backs uh, who are uh, – you know, as good as anybody in the country. And I, I just now I'm remembering as I say this, I guess you played back at Florida State. So, I, you know, <laughs> nice how that works out, I guess. But yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. there the backfield is is revamped, though. So like none of these guys have ties to FSU um, besides. Um, yeah, really, none of the guys who are going to play have experience at Florida State. Joshua Corbin is a transfer from Texas A&M. Corey Wren, I believe, is a ju- junior college guy that came in, but very dynamic, very fast. Um, I believe he was, like, um, led, led the state of Alabama there rushing when he was um, coming out of high school. You've got um, Webb, who's going to be pretty good. Like, those are going to be your main three guys with Coburn getting a, a majority of the reps. He's a downhill back. He's um, a workhorse guy, very SEC style. But if you go back and you watch the Memphis film um, of what Norvell did, again, the offensive line did have a lot of devastating blocks in the run game. But what their running backs did, what I noticed was the elite vision. Um, their ability to get to the gap was was crazy. And if those guys can replicate what was done in Memphis, then you'll see um, you'll see decent. Will any of them be Cam Akers? No, uh, no. Nah. We, we, we had a really good run of starters. So, I mean, we've gone from Devonta Freeman to Dalvin Cook to Cam Akers. And that's even before that, Chris Thompson, you had um, James Wilder Jr. So we've had a lot of guys get a chance to go to the NFL and play play well. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I don't think any of these guys are definitely – they're not on Cam Akers level, but, but they should be good. They should be decent. I think they're just really good guys until – and that's all you're going to get until – um, he's able to show something offensively, and they're able to recruit guys. That's why not getting Jalen Knighton really hurt. Like Jalen Knighton could have been in this system too, a guy who was very much so like a Cam Akers. So you mentioned, you know, trying to figure out the quick game from a passing game standpoint to help out the offensive line to also obviously help out James Blackman. But how I. I, I almost feel dumb asking this because Florida State always finds a way to recruit these elite skill guys. But how are you feeling about the receiver position at Florida State? I mean, I, I feel like asking that is kind of a crazy thing. But like Florida State in recent years, like outside like Tamaron Terry, like they don't really have it, it's weird. They like haven't had that guy to just like break the game open at receiver like we were used to seeing like in the nineties, early to mid two thousands, like it's been different recently for Florida state on the outside. Maybe it's cause just the passing game hasn't been as good. Even with, even with Jameis Winston, you gotta think since Jimbo era, Kelvin Benjamin or Shy green, only two NFL guys. Um, yeah, guys with production, but they didn't really get a chance to be able to take to that next level. Obviously Tamron Terry, 
is the guy that's coming back that will be that's the thousand yard receiver. Um, that's your your guy who can take off the top of the defense. But Warren Thompson is a guy is a name that people are going to have to get to know. Um, his he he's got great body control and ability to make the the acrobatic catch. Jordan Young is another guy who can fill in and do that. But Brian Robinson is a guy who's been showing out in camp. He's a freshman from um, down South Palm Beach area. So he should be able to come and you add in Keyshawn Helton, who's had who's shown flashes before he got hurt. And they've just got a bunch of guys that are very athletic and very talented, but just have not been able to turn that corner. So we'll see what they can do in year two under, under coach Ron Dugans. And I, I, and I think that's something that helps too, is having a receiver coach who did it at a high level, who played in the NFL, who's coached at multiple stops. So him doing that and them having an understanding of the offense, I believe should help out tremendously. James, defensively, Florida State, uh, I mean, new coordinator again for the, what, the second or third time in three years, something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of change that they've gone through recently, but they do bring back a ton of production, a ton of continuity, at least on the personnel side of things. I think Bill Conley has them at ninth in returning defensive production this year out of all 130 teams. So th- there's a lot to believe in there. Is there any thought that, I guess, the, the new coaching regime here, using the talent that is still in place, I mean, is there's got to be a lot of excitement and, and optimism surrounding this unit and what they, they could be, uh, again, with, a, with a, a little bit of a boost in coaching? That's really where FSU has to be able to establish themselves, is, is on the defense. Returning, you've got um, Janoris Robinson, who was turning the corner, as well as Joshua Kendo, who before injury was doing very well. And then you got a bunch of unproven guys at defensive end behind them. But really where you're doing the most is in the interior line. So you've got Marvin Wilson, um, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, who are three, who when they did the, the, a lot of the stuff, they did a top 10 interior defense alignment. And those are th- those, all three of those guys were in, in the top 10. You add in there Fabian Lockett, I believe I'm saying his name right, who's a transfer from Mississippi State who's been showing flashes and doing well. And if you want to know what he's like, go watch the Mississippi State versus LSU game, and you'll get a chance to see that he's got some potential. And they've got um, a young man from Louisville who transferred in who was a defensive end who they converted to D-tackle who's been doing well. So really, for the first time in a while, they can be, you know, three, four levels deep at the D tackle position, which you're going to create a lot of double teams. They're going to have to be double teamed. And that gives more freedom to your defensive ends. And now that right there should help the linebacker core, which to tag tags credit and Raymond Woody, who was the former linebacker coach, they completely flipped that, that room. That room went from very unathletic to not being sure what they have to actually being a really good, strong young unit. Like they've got some guys like Amari Gaynor, um, Jaleel McCree, you got um, you got uh, Kalen Deloach, you got some guys who've got who are all in that two twenty to two thirty range, but can run. And obviously FSU in the secondary, like that, we're gonna always be able to recruit DBs. So like that's never been an issue. We have we have that walking around like orange groves in the state of Florida. So um, they've got some good talent there, and there's some guys that um that didn't get a chance to play last year that are going to play this year that are going to really turn, turn some heads. 
Do you think this is the best defensive line in the country, James? Top top ten. I can't say. I, Miami's D-line is really good. Pitt's D-line is good. Um, obviously, Bama, George. George's defensive line is amazing. And Florida has a really good D-line. So those are guys that I would have to say um, across the board, totality are good. But the, the, the wild cards are seniors, so they could have breakout seasons. We just haven't seen them do that. And they were five stars. And that's Janoris Robinson and, and Joshua Kano. So if they play up to what their ability has been, then you could, at the end of the season, very well say that this is the best defensive line in the nation. But until then, I you got to prove it. But I will say Marvin Wilson is one of the best interior D linemen in the nation, as well as Robert Cooper. So you've got pieces, but just not – I can't say as a whole they are because the numbers and the production don't match that. It's a pretty interesting time when we could say that Florida State – might have like one of the two or three best defensive lines in the ACC, but that also might be like one of the top five defensive lines in the country. Like that's the fact that you're sitting here mentioning Pitt, Miami, Alabama, and Georgia in that same breath. I mean, that's, there's a lot of a, a pretty uh, high company to be there in terms of defensive line talent and really defense front seven talent in general. And excuse me, no disrespect to Clemson. Clemson is up there, too. So I think that's something that people like to pick on the ACC and the brand of football. But when you really look at some of the teams that are emerging and some of the talent, like what's being done in North Carolina, what Clemson has been able to do, what Miami's been able to amass, Pitt is – if I'm a D tackle, I'm going to Pitt. Like, Pitt's putting them out there. Like, and – and Pitt is still up there with one of their best players choosing to opt out, who I think is the best D-tackle in the nation. So I think certainly there's going to be more questions on the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. But like, what do you think is the one like biggest question mark uh, for Florida State? Is it that offensive line or is it Blackman or is it the receiving core or is it? some element of the defense like what do you think is the one biggest question mark that's going to determine how good Florida how good or how bad Florida State is this year how disciplined the offense can be and it's easy to pick on the offensive line and that's just is what it is until until you see the game and until they get confidence but going back to like 2015 FSU is notorious for you know getting decent field position and then a false start to not, or a holding penalty. So now you got, and there's not a lot of great plays for first and 15 to first and 20. So can they, or a legal procedure or a legal formation. And can you get rid of those like mental lapses? Now, again, I, I encourage FSU fans to go watch film of Memphis. That's not going to go away overnight because Memphis was one of the most heavily penalized teams in the nation. And they had a lot of, if you go back and watch the Ole Miss game, their first six drives, there was some kind of stupid penalty that, that, stalled, that stalled it. So can you get rid of those things? Because that becomes extra yards that you got to fight and you got you to fight to go back and get. And, and that's not fun, um, especially when you get into the red zone, especially like you're giving momentum to the defense. Um, again, like I said, there's not a lot of great plays for first and 15 or uh, first and 20. James, it's funny you, you talk a little bit about that discipline and that aspect because that that segues kind of into what I was going to ask about next, which is kind of getting into special teams where it seems like 
different coaches and different programs put far different levels of emphasis on this. And, and some coaches, even over time, will put more and more emphasis on it. But it seemed like something that Willie Taggart and his staff were not emphasizing all that heavily. Um, special teams was not a bright spot for the last couple of years. I mean, do you, do you feel like that at least, you know, punting, kicking wise, or even return game, like, is that, is that a talent issue or is that just something that some simple coaching could make a pretty big difference with, with this program? Well, getting 11 people on the field is important in specialty. That's one. <laughs> that's a good start. Um, that's a good start. That's a great start. Um, you know, it started with Willie Tiger, who we couldn't get in. Like Lance Guidry, who's now his special teams coordinator at FAU, um, who was at McNeese State out of Louisiana, was considered one of the best special teams minds in the nation. Like, So if you're able to get that guy out the gate, you might have seen some different things. And you just had to put people who weren't as passionate about it. But now you've got Jeff Papa, I don't know how to say his name, Papa Chis, Papa Doug, whatever, the guy who was defense. He's been a, he's been a special teams coordinator everywhere he's been at. Um, but you've also got um, – that's something that Mike Norvell is interested in. Like Mike Norvell went to Memphis, and one of his first things was noticing that they hadn't had a return kickoff, a kickoff return for a touchdown, and that was one of the, the emphasis. So now what you got to do is you got to get your better players to buy in and want to be able to re- do that. Like, I didn't want to play special teams when I played. It's not fun. Like, you got to play special teams and you got to go play offense. It's a lot. But if you can get your guys to buy into that, then you've got some um, some real good things going. But he's also recruited a lot of DBs that have a lot of skill sets with th- that are very good athletes. You've also got, you know, Keyshawn Hilton. you got Tamara and Terry. You've got Brian Robinson, Jordan Young, a lot of these guys who have done that well. So they're going to put out the best athletes. Hell, at one point we had – um. What was his name? Um, we had Tavares McFadden who ran a four eight returning punch. That's just not optimal. Like I don't know that. And then Keith Gavin, who was who couldn't catch a pass, but he's returning kicks. So getting guys who can field it is one. One is important. And then getting guys who can can convert and, and move it. So um, as far as punters go, I think we've got some good talent guys with with powerful legs. And that's just something we've been slacking in. Um, we haven't had a good punter in years. So taking a look at the schedule, it's it's going to be weird for everybody this year, James. But like Florida State plays Georgia Tech at home on September 12th and then immediately has their first bye week on the 19th, which we've seen a couple times. Uh, we've also seen like schedules too, where nobody's playing like in Virginia tech's case or NC state's case, nobody's playing until like the 19th. So this is going to be a little bit all over the place this year, but Florida state has Georgia tech. They're on the road at Miami. They got Notre Dame on the road, North Carolina at home. They still draw Clemson. They're at Louisville. Like this is a tough year one schedule for Mike Norvell and navigate here. Yeah. But the standard is the standard. You can't look at there's only two two schools, three schools that you can look at on that schedule that has talent on par or better than what you have. And that's Miami, Notre Dame, and Clemson. Um, I would go ahead and tell people like when you're looking at the schedule, just go ahead and scratch off Notre. Don't just just enjoy that. Enjoy enjoy football. For Notre Dame and Clemson, and, and, and hope you go out and you give a good show, give it a good old college try. 
Like we, I'm if we beat Notre Dame, I'm I'm going to tell some elite lies. If we go three and zero, I'm like cancel the season. I got I want everybody to get COVID, and then I'm going to say we were national championship contenders. You can't prove it otherwise. Give me UCF treatment. National yeah, yeah, we, basically, yeah. I'm gonna be like, hey, we were three and zero. We were undefeated. We beat a top ranked team. And hey, listen, we would have. And I'll tell you a lie with a smile on my face that we would have must stop Clemson. <laughs> but but if if the season's played out, I just don't see those. Those are the, the only two games you can't convince me right now that we don't deserve that we don't have a fighting chance to win. Everybody else, I mean. Pitt has a great D-line outside of that. I don't. I can't tell you anything else about Pitt. NC State is coming off of a – Doran probably missed his window. He should have left after um, when he had Chubb and those guys. That was probably his chance. But right now, I mean, I'm not saying he'll be fired at NC State, but he lost that. He also lost um, the best D-line, D-line – one of the best D-line coaches in the nation. Um, hey, hey Joey, Joey's, Joey's, Joey's smiling here because he I'm looking at my been, chops over here. Oh, he – he can't wait for Dave Doran to get fired. He was been calling for the Dave Doran firing for two years. He was one of the best coaches about a couple of years ago, but then it just got out of hand real quick. Um, but when I look at Georgia Tech, I think they're still a year away, year or two away. But what, what what Jeff Collins is doing, the only thing I don't like about Jeff Collins is I don't believe um, men should wear um, high water pants and, and leather shoes with no socks. Like, it, it, you just, I just don't like his dress code. But other than that, he always stands on his tippy toes. It bothers me. But he's a, but other than that, he's not a bad coach. Um, but no I think arguments. they're doing a really good – they're doing a really good job of recruiting – uh, their their home base, which is the Atlanta metro area, which is a lot of talent. Um, that right now, like they're hot, so he's doing a really good job with that. Um, but I don't think they're ready yet. Uh, um, just they went from running a wing tee. It's just tough to you know make that. But if those guys, those guys obviously bought in to beat Miami, which was shocked every shocked the world. So they have it in them. North Carolina. We'll see what Sam Howell's experiment does when everybody's looking for it. But he's got 2,000-yard receivers coming back, and he's doing well. But, I mean, that's a game that I believe that we can match up, still match up well with. Um, Pitt, like I said, the D-line. But when it comes to that, I mean, I think we still have um, – we got Duke on the schedule. And I'm just – no matter how bad we are, I'm just not ready to concede that we're going to lose to Duke. I mean, that's just – that's arrogance. FSU arrogance, but, I mean, I just can't – I can't do it. Um, I can't do it until until they make me do it. Um, and, and like I said, when I look at everybody else on that schedule, it's um, it, it it's it's not as it, it's games that we we should have a chance to win. I'm not gonna go and say FSU should be nine to two. That's um, if we do that, we then throw a parade. Um, but I do believe FSU has seven to eight wins in them, and I'm saying that because the line was bad last year, but we didn't have competent coaching at times on both sides. We didn't have, we had an offensive coordinator that just wanted to go, go, go. And you, you left your defense on the field too long. But if you look at Boise state, the Boise state loss, when you look at the Wake Forest loss, when you look at the Virginia loss, when you look at Arizona state, it's, it's about, if you, if you ran temp, if you ran a tempo as opposed to up tempo offense, you would have one drive of four minute and one four minute drive in those games. You win on you win those. 
Like, you control the clock. And I we've seen now, he runs no huddle. That doesn't mean – it's more like Clemson. You run, you get up on the line, it doesn't mean you run the play right away. You just want to make sure that defense stays in a look that gives you favorable matchup. James, tell me if I'm wrong, but I look at this schedule, and from a sequencing standpoint, my take on this is that this schedule is almost backwards from what Florida State would want. So considering that – Again, new coaching staff, barely had any practices before all the quarantine stuff. I mean, you've got minimal time for install and, you know, setting up your systems and all this stuff. It seems like of the five hardest games they play, four of them are within the first six games of the season. You know, you got Georgia Tech off the bat. You got Jacksonville State tossed in there. But then at Miami, at Notre Dame, North Carolina, and at Louisville – are four of your first six games. Like you'd prefer that to be on the back half of your schedule rather than at NC state, Virginia, and at Duke. Like you could handle that up front a little bit easier to get the most winnable games at the end. Seems unfortunate, I guess is what I'm, I'm saying. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yes. I can see what you're saying. It's a couple ways to look at it. And very true. The only thing about getting Miami early is that Miami has, a, is putting in brand new systems too. So they, place, had, yeah. they got affected by the, they got affected and they're, a six and seven program as well. And, you know, people talk about Manny Diaz as if he's the Cuban Willie Taggart. So like they could be, and and I don't, and and this isn't me speaking on a rivalry. This is me just look like UAB is one of the better group of five programs. Like UAB ain't going in. UAB watched this team lose Louisiana Tech, Duke and FIU. They're not going into that Miami game lacking confidence. So there could be a chance that we that you get both of them without a lot of film, which kind of bodes, you know, so that's a toss-up and it's a rivalry. And the better thing, I believe, about having a coach who has no relationship to the program is that he, he, we, we can tell him that Miami is important. He don't know what my, the importance of the Miami game. He never coached it. So this is his first time. Like those guys, you know, he might just look at it as a regular game, and if he does that, that's a benefit. Um, but you know, we have a bye week, which helps. Miami, I think Miami has one too, but we have a bye week before we play Miami. We have a bye week, I think, before we play Notre Dame, if I remember correctly. No, can't be because we play my we play Notre Dame. Anyways, we have some bye weeks built in that we didn't have normally. Um, Jacksonville State has to be considered a bye week for me if we're at that point where. We're, so in that case, you, know, you do have a bye week before Notre Dame. Yeah, if we're fighting for our lives, like going into going into Jacksonville State, man, we got bigger issues. But which I'm not saying we're above it. I'm just saying it's not. It's something that shouldn't happen. But it, I don't care about having a. We don't need a bye week before Clemson because it doesn't matter. We can have we can have three bye weeks. Um, the only way we're beating Clemson is if COVID wrecks them. And I don't wish that on anybody or a little bit, not a lot of bit, just maybe a little bit. Like, I don't want anybody to die, but if they could get a little sick, then that would help. But it's just <laughs> this. But I think the back end, because you can look at it like this. Miami started off really, really hot, and then they, they dropped three games that nobody would have thought they'd drop, which affected recruiting. So if you start off cold and you're losing to the, you know, you let's say we're, we're, two and three after the first five games, but, you know, you finish the season seven and four, then you're still in a position to where people, you're still kind of right where people want you to be. Um, We got to play this like golf, man. 
we we're not gonna hit a hole in one. We got a par four. Well, let's let's take four, let's get our four best hits, our four best strokes, and and try to and try to make that happen. Um, this is a a rebuild. Um, and really, he's got to get the momentum in recruiting to get the cats that he wants and get the guys developed and buy in. Because when twenty twenty two comes around, is not the actually I'm kind of happy LSU is kind of imploding right now. But like the schedule only the like and this is what I said. So if this schedule isn't an eight win schedule, right? No matter how it's laid out, then I can't really speak intelligently on twenty one, twenty two, and twenty three, and twenty four because it only gets it only gets harder. And unfortunately for Mike, you know fans can say, well, look at what Willie Tiger did, or look at what he was left. But the schedule says you better win now so that you can get the talent in, or you're gonna get your head beat. And we're going to be looking for a new coach in five years. So with all that being said, what do you think the record is? When I talked to Mike Norvell on my show, he told me that the standard is the standard and he wants to be held to the standard. So I have to believe competing for an ACC championship is the standard. Doesn't mean we go to it, but it means we need to be having meaningful discussions of if we beat this team or if we, we, we are fighting for that second spot. And the only way that's going to happen is if we if we finish the season eight and three. Fair. So I'm going eight and three. I do I don't I do believe that we probably lose to Notre Dame and Clemson, and I can't and and I just give you a game. We I be I believe we beat Miami, but I I give you a game in there that we dropped that we probably shouldn't drop because the team is still young. And and James, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but. As we, we we generally have looked at this as you know like the ten game ACC schedule, eight and three. I'm just guessing you're saying seven and three ACC and then a win over Jacksonville State. Is that correct? God, if we lose <laughs> to Jacksonville State, then our schedule we're not going eight and three. We'll be we'll be three and we'll be three and eight if we lose Jacksonville State. But yes, um, seven and three ACC with the um with a pickup of a win in a um in the non conference game. I I don't mean to twist the knife here, but it did almost take Samford to overtime a couple of years ago. So it's it's not that impossible. Said, but that being said, that Samford team had a guy who started for the Pittsburgh Steelers at quarterback, and they had a wide receiver who who led us up who was in the NFL too. That Samford team correct. also should have beat Ole Miss a few years ago with that same guy. That was a I hate this. That was about as good of an FCS team as you could get. We also had Alabama State also was giving us a game in the halftime last year. But I have to if if this team isn't improved because of coaching, then we shouldn't fire Willie Taggart. We should have let Willie Taggart come in a little bit more because his, he was recruiting effectively. And at least we would be in a better situation. But for all the pomp and circumstance that we did this year, launching booster campaigns and and all this positive media press and that we've got, it would behoove Mike Norvell to be able to make sure these guys are as prepared as possible. And I believe he will have them. I I I believe he's growing on me one percent every day, as he likes to say. You know, climb one percent. So again, we won't know until we play the games. But I will tell you this: um, the Georgia Tech game will be a good game, I believe, and we'll know everything we need to know. Well, we'll know good. We'll know a lot more once the Georgia Tech game. We'll know a lot more about 7 p.m. on um, September 12th, like, and that'll be post game and 
I will be analyzing and breaking it down and doing all kind of other stuff. So, hey, we'll see. We might learn a good amount about both those teams in that game, that which is also super dangerous in college football in general in week one. I remember that Texas-Notre Dame game a few years ago that we thought that Texas was going to win the national championship or something after they won in double overtime, and then they won like seven games or whatever the whole year. I mean, so you never know. Even last year, even last year as an example, I mean, Tennessee lost to Georgia State. Mm-hmm. And then ended the season really good. Like, um, and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's – you never know. You want to get better each week. and But you also got to win the games that you – again, you have better talent than and you should be a, a step ahead of. And not only do you have better talent, you also have – there's no semblance of real film that they can break down on Florida State except for watching Memphis. And you can't really – like – Memphis was good, but they didn't have Tamara and Terry. They didn't have some of these guys. Like and defensively, they didn't have the cats that Florida State has. So um, those are things that you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful for. And then another thing too is like you got guys who are in another year. Um, uh, Jennifer's son's name. Um, wow, I'm sorry. CTE and late night is is, is killing me right now. Um, uh, big time. Um, he's a cornerback safety for us. Oh man, it's killing me right now. Um, Samuels. Anyway, no, no, no. Well, no, Zant is good. That's not who I'm talking about. But we had a guy who led it, like was one of the leaders in pass breakups. Um, dropped all his intercept, but there should have been interceptions. Um, as my high school coach used to say, if it was a spear, it would have killed him. Like a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, the, <laughs> um, the, the the pass breakups. But if you can, and we had a lot of those, but if these guys can convert a little bit of those, be better ball hawks in the secondary, a lot of those games also that we lost change a little bit. So um, it's, um, it's you know, those are just, they got Demore Tate who's coming in, who's a good, we got some good young talent that play the ball very well. And if the defense can get those pressure, the Elon can get those pressures into sacks, then I think we um, we, we get a little bit better. James, I, th- I think what you're saying about I, – I'm not necessarily convinced that this staff is going to recruit as well as Willie and his staff were, but I know that they are going to be more organized and they are going to be much more schematically impressive than Willie and his staff were. And I, I think that will make a pretty big difference with the level of talent, just base case, you're going to get at Florida State over the years. So I, I'm very intrigued to see how it turns out, and especially with kind of the really unusual – off season that we've had leading up to it. But I think there's a lot of reason for optimism here with this program and reason to think that by game nine, 10, 11, I mean, they're, they're humming. So I guess we'll, we'll have to see what happens here. Um, Mike, that's all I got what for I James. Anything happen, else? Sorry. Sorry. Go what ahead. I, yeah. What I think will happen though is Mike is a, like a, is like a Baptist preacher, man. Like it's very, <laughs> very, very good. Like when you listen to him, like you know, he's motivated and he got he's a quotable guy, man. I think people just don't know him because he's not from Florida and he's not a Florida guy. But a lot like I and I and I know Florida State fans don't like to look at this, but Dan Mullen, what he's done at Florida, Dan Mullen is awkward and he's not a good recruiter, but he's a good developer. He developed this talent that he had, he figured out how to fit him into his system, and from that he's been able to do really, really good in recruiting. And I believe that if 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 he can sell, like look at what I did my first year. We won eight games. We were dominant. We when we needed to be, we were 
we were uh, we put on a good show in our losses. Then he can buy, he can get more buy-in from the kids who are trying to who who've grown up looking at Florida State, and they were they they kind of remember they were in middle school when we won the national championship, but you know they remember what it was like. The dads can tell them about what the '90s were like, and they'll want to be a part of that. And I think winning is going to be his biggest recruiting thing. Whereas Tad can win you on your personality. Um, I think, uh, not Mullen, um, I think Mike is going to have to win you on his scheme and what he's going to be able to do. And something that I think a lot of fans, which I believe he should be selling at the gate, is that his staff has seven or eight guys get drafted. Like Now, they were all at different schools, but you can say, like, look, this is what we do as a staff. We can do this with your son. We can get him in the league. We just got to get him to come here and, and do it in the Garden of Gold jersey. Mike, that's all I had for James. Uh, anything else while we got him? I think we're good. James, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate it, man. Anytime, man. Um, you know, really been a, been pleased to, you know, meet you with, with Mark Rogers, like what you got, what you've been doing, like when you guys have had me on the podcast. I think it's great. Um, and again, you know, just keep putting out good content. And thank God we have stuff that we can put out content for now that we have football. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right back at you, man. Hey, uh, you want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Yeah. Um, biggest, the easiest way is at big game, James underscore 36 on Twitter. Um, at big game, James 36 was killed by Twitter. Oh, he's starting to Twitter jail. Um, he's never getting out. He got life without the possibility of parole. That guy is, is a terrible person. That's why underscore 36 is the right person to follow. Um, Sports Den Live is my uh, my radio, my daily radio show here in Jacksonville, Florida, that has more of a national feel. We have the SoundCloud. We do Periscope, Facebook Live, um, YouTube, all of that jazz. Um, check it out. Um, also, Fifth Quarter College Football, where we basically write articles about every program in FBS, and we, we do a little FCS and NAIA. Uh, we've got the Discord chats where you can go in and you can discuss your favorite, your favorite team amongst like-minded individuals. Um, it gets, it's fun. Sometimes it gets a little bit too reckless, but it's a, it's a way to talk about football. Like you're amongst friends um, and, and, and we, we play the dozens pretty well, but um, we break a lot of news in there. We got some really good, tremendous um, writers go to um, fifth quarter, fifth quarter.net. Um, for the website and for the chats, and then also check out the Discord. It's five dollars a month. You get two of your favorite college football teams and the NFL team. And again, we got a lot of stuff that's going on. We're trying to we're trying to make this platform be a rival to rivals in two four seven, but more fun. We're not as rigid. Oh, this has been a ton of fun, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it as always, and uh, really hoping we can have you on again sometime soon, man. Anytime, man. Like I always tell people, I go where I'm asked. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, James. Talk to you again soon, brother. All right, gentlemen. I'm going to finish this cigar and then go, go get me some sleep. I'm getting old. Y'all right, have a good one. You're, you're smarter than we are. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> right, have a good one. You too, yeah, man. You too. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, Mike, that was James Coleman, once again, of 1010XL, 92.5 FM in Jacksonville, and, of course, at a fifth quarter 
there's a lot of different outlets there to to contact him through the fifth quarter with a Discord server and all sorts of stuff. So highly recommend going to find him there. All sorts of really, really great in-depth Florida State coverage. I thought that was a great conversation. It's going to be an interesting year, to say the least, here in Tallahassee. But I can't help but feel fairly good about the direction of the Florida State program with where it is right now. He knows his stuff. He feels good about Norvell. I felt good about Norvell when they made the hire. I feel a whole lot better about Norvell now that we talked to him. So this is kind of where we're at. It should go better than Taggart, but who's to say? Record prediction-wise, James has him at 7-3 and three in the ACC. Are you good with that? Are you in line with that? Or are you a little skeptical? I don't think it'll be quite that good. Like, I think no. the potentials, I, I think the potentials there for it to be that good, um, just because they are talented. Um, they do have a veteran quarterback, but they have to replace Cam Akers. They have to replace some starters on the offensive line. The offensive line just really isn't that good to begin with. Um, defensively, they'll be real good. You know, I obviously asked the question about the defensive line being the best in the country. James said, I'll give them top 10 because there's so many good ones out there, uh, which is a, which I thought was a fair statement. I'll put Florida State's defensive line up against any of them, though. So they have a really good uh, front four there on defense. Back end of the secondary is is relatively experienced, led by Asante Samuel Jr. So, like, they got some talent. They they mm-hmm. clearly have some talent. Um, I am a little bit less optimistic about Florida State in year one, but a lot of it has to do with the schedule. Like, at Notre Dame home against North Carolina at Louisville. And that's not even taken into account the Clemson game later in the year. Like that's tough. And then you have your rivalry game against Miami as your second game of the year. It's not an easy schedule. Um, I think that Florida state from a record standpoint might be about where they've been. Like, I, I think that they'll go five and five in the ACC and they'll win one more um, against Jacksonville State. Some people are going to think that I'm more on the pessimistic side with that, I think. I think the sweet spot for Florida State really is at six or seven win range total, like not just in the ACC, but like total. So give them one more conference win if you want. I think that's probably the sweet spot, but I'm going to go five and five in conference uh, and then getting that six win against Jacksonville State. Look, like Georgia Tech's a winnable game. Um, they they got home against Pitt at NC State, UVA at Duke um, throughout the month of November. And then that Duke game kind of culminating the season there in early December. Like those are all winnable games, in my opinion. But like with that being said, Pittsburgh's still a hard game to win. Like Pitt's defensive line's really good. They also have a veteran quarterback. They have more proven, uh, uh, more proven offensive line, proven playmakers in the backfield, a really good defense front to back. Um, that that's, I think, better than Florida State's defense is um, when, when you look at all 11 guys there. Um, so that's not going to be an easy game to win, even though you do get that at home and you do have a bye week before. I, I still think that's a tough game. I think Florida State can win. They match up fine. Uh, but but that's going to be a tough game. I think Florida State can certainly beat Miami on the road, their, their second game of the year, um, because they do have a bye week before that as well. But again, like Miami matches up well with Florida State. Like, there's going to be athletes all over that field. There's going to be a lot of question marks there. In my opinion, it's more of like a coin flip game than anything else. So, like, there's areas where, like, in the schedule where I look at and say, you know what, Florida State can win that game. Even when looking at, like, North Carolina and Louisville, like, those are games that Florida State 
look, they match up fine, like from an athlete standpoint. Uh, but are they going to have enough consistency up front on the offensive line to block some of the pass rushers you're going to see? I think that's the biggest, the biggest question in my opinion. So I'm going to go five and five uh, in conference. They pick up their sixth in that out conference game against Jacksonville State. And I'm going to roll with that, Joey. I, I think Florida State, the five-year outlook for Florida State, I think is very good. I think mm-hmm. in year one, they'll look a lot better, but it may not necessarily present itself that way when we look at a final win-loss projection. Yeah, I it's the thing that I've mentioned in terms of some of these schedules in previous previews, Mike, is the word sequencing. It's not necessarily who you play. It's when you play them and relative to when you play other teams, as well as uh, when they are playing other teams and other games. And, and that's again, as I mentioned with James, that's kind of my biggest concern here is that you're probably your five toughest games are games. Two, four, five, six, and seven. Uh, well, then not Cle- not counting Clemson, which is just that's a loss. Um, Big L. I mean, uh, of of your five toughest but maybe winnable games, it's all in the early part of your schedule for a team that again has had minimal offseason practice and repetitions. Uh, you know, there's been all sorts of offseason turmoil, and so it's hard to feel good about a team coming in a coaching staff coming in and doing install and and setting up all their systems and everything in order to have this team performing at a level that they need to be to beat some of these teams that already have established cultures, coaching staffs, this, that, and the other. Now, that being said, I, I've actually got Florida state at six and four in the ACC and, and James has them at seven and three. So that's even, I'm being a little bit more pessimistic than him it's not a question of talent. It is, it is a couple of these other factors that we've talked about, but I, I mentioned this to you earlier today. And I said, I think I've got six, Florida state at six and four. And you said, show me the six wins. And I said, okay, well, week one, Georgia tech at home. Uh, what is it? Week nine, week eight, I guess at NC state week 10 at home against Virginia week 11 on the road at Duke. So there's four wins that I feel good about right now. Then there's four games that I think they could easily go two and two against, and that's at Miami, at uh, Louisville, home against North Carolina, home against Pittsburgh. You get Pittsburgh off a of bye week. Not to mention, how many points does it take to beat Pittsburgh? Like 31? I was going to say 24. Yeah, um, I mean, certainly yeah, if you like, score like 30 points against Pittsburgh, you're going to win the game. Like, and and I think Miami's or, or Florida State is going to be in a pretty good position to do that. Um, can you knock off Louisville in Louisville in game six? Sure. Can you beat Miami in a new quarterback, you know, in week three? Maybe. Could you beat UNC at home? Maybe. Like it's, so I, I think they split those four games, go two and two. And that's where I get six and four. I think they, they lose at Notre Dame. I just don't, I don't see this team going into South Bend and beating Notre Dame. Two years from now, very well made. Sure. Yeah. Year one, no. Clemson at home, just that that's a loss. Yeah. And then I, I just don't think they'll they'll run the rest of the table. But six and four, I think, I mean, I think that's a strong start considering what this schedule is, kind of what this coaching staff has had to deal with in the offseason. And I think there there is even a little bit to be said, Mike, for kind of style points, maybe in those last couple of weeks at home against Virginia and at Duke. 
if you can win those games by more than seven to 10 points, if you can win one or both of them in blowout fashion, we probably feel pretty good about Florida state moving into year two. Agree. No, totally agree. And I, I could totally see them winning six games in conference. That's not out of the realm of possibility at all. I think that five, six win range in the ACC is pretty fair for year one for Norvell. And I think especially if you come out on the other side of 500, right, if you do get that sixth win in conference, I think that's something you can hang your hat on uh, because you may not be playing a 10 game ACC schedule anymore, right? You, you could, and we were very well, we very well may be going back to an eight game ACC schedule in the future with, you know, four non cons and, you know, anytime you're winning six games in the ACC, you're probably going to have a pretty good year. That's probably nine, 10 wins in an ordinary year, depending on what your non-conference schedule looks like. So I think a lot of fans from mm-hmm. Florida State side would take that. Yep, absolutely. So I've got them at four, six and four. You got them at five and five. James had them at seven and three. Anything else on Florida State before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. Should be good in year I one. So. I, I'm intrigued. This is a team that I could definitely see making some pretty big leaps from the first game or two to the last couple of games. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I really like this coaching staff. I I think this is a staff that is going to scheme really well, and that's going to match really well with the talent that they're just inherently going to get being at Florida state. So I, I think I said at the time, I, I can't really sit here and say that this was a just knockout, you know, home run higher of a head coach, but I do think it was a solid like double to the gap. Like, this is a this is a really good hire that's going to, I think, give it some time, and I have a lot of reason to believe it's going to work out. Should be better than Taggart. <laughs> that's, that, that's not a high bar, Mike, but, you know. That's what we have to work with. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what we've got to work with. So, anyways, all right, uh, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and finish previewing some of these teams uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, anything at all to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or whatever they're doing uh, Stitcher, Breaker, Overcast, Anchor, all those good places. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate it. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else here? On to the next, man. We're almost done with these previews. Almost done. Got to keep rolling. We're, we're getting close. Yep. I can, I can taste it. Yep. Might need to get that checked. But anyways. Yeah. Che- yeah. Please get that checked. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Mike, we'll talk again soon. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. James Coleman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.